So good morning to Summit. And we will say down south, how y'all? How y'all doing this morning? Okay, awesome. It's so good to be back with you all this morning. Um, I'm excited. Enjoyed the worship. Great. Um, I don't want to say performer, but great. Yeah, leading us in worship. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Again, my name is Demontre Hamilton. And a year ago today, I preached for the first time here. And a year ago today, I was, it would have been this coming weekend, I was moving to Ellsbury. Hey, Miss Julie, how are you? Um, and so I spent my last, the second year of my residency in Ellsbury, learning small town context. The, the reason why I went to Ellsbury, because there was a desire for me to um, do small town pastoring because I grew up in a small town in Mississippi on a dirt road. Well, with that, I spent a year. Ellsbury was fun. It actually will be hard leaving Ellsbury at the end of next month. Um, I got to know the people, grown to love the people. What I've been telling people recently is the last two churches I left in the last two years, all my friends were basically in the church. So it was like I was leaving one spot. This time, I'm leaving people in the church. I'm leaving people in town because I walk the town once a week to connect with people. I go to like different, 10 different places and just um, connect and build relationships. And I'm leaving neighbors. Like I love my neighbors. This past week, they actually took me out just to take me out before I leave. So this is a little bit harder for me this time leaving Ellsbury. I wish I had another year because I think, you know, in missions, I've done a mission internship. And one of the things they taught us was, you have to build relationships to break down barriers. And I do think that if I was there another year, I think things would be a little bit different. But at the end of next month, I'm moving to Belleville. I'm working with a church planner, Acts 29 Church, Living Hope Church. Paul Fernandez is the lead elder. He's the only elder. Uh, we spent the last two years together in the residency. He was a little bit further along than us, but we both was under John Ryan. And they're in their first year. Easter will be a year that they launched publicly to everyone. So the whole goal is I was having an issue when I was applying for churches, and I, didn't, I have a ton of ministry experience, but I don't have a ton of lead role experience. So this is an opportunity for me to go to Belleville. The plan is to be there three to five years. I'm saying five because I can't keep taking this emotional roller coaster <laughs> of connecting with people, then leaving but the plan is three to five years so I can get a little bit more hands-on um, because they are developing everything. They are new. So even though I'm not the lead guy, there's a part of me that's like, I'm church planning now. I didn't think I would be church planning. My best friend was like, it's funny how you go take a job and you are so against church planning. So this is awesome. <laughs> so as I went Friday looking for a place to live, and I'm hoping to hear back from the lady. So they are coming out of the YMCA building right now. Um, I don't know how long we'll be there, but that's the, that is Belleville. So at the end of next month, I'm taking off, leaving, headed to Belleville. And again, thank you so much for your support. So today we will continue the journey through Mark, Mark chapter 6. If you turn with me to Mark chapter 6, we'll do, we will read... 6, 1 through 13, I think it is. Yes. Did here. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. 
And on the Sabbath, they began to teach. He began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? Is not this the carpenter's son, the, the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And they took offense, I'm sorry, and are not his sister here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty works there, work there, except that he laid hands, his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the village, villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirit. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place would not receive you and, there will, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So, that, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with all many who were sick and healed. God, we thank you for your word. So today we will talk about, are you too comfortable with Jesus? Or we can make it a little bit more personal by saying, are we too comfortable with the Lord? Now, my best friend, when I was talking to him this week, he said, if you was going to a black church, you can probably say, um, Jesus ain't one of your little friends. Has any, <laughs> has any parent said that to their kids? So growing up, when we said, had a tone or anything, our parents would turn around, I ain't one of your little friends, or you must think I'm one of your friends, or go find you somebody to play with. <laughs> so we knew at that moment our next tone, our next word, the choice of words or body language, uh, if it was wrong, our life was in danger. <laughs> so there are three choices that you have. Jesus, are you too comfortable with Jesus? Are you too comfortable with the Lord? Or Jesus ain't one of your little friends. If it applied to you this morning, you can take it. So normally I start off with an introduction, but this morning, due, for, due to the sake of time, we're going to dive straight into the text. And verse 1, again, we're going to read, he went away, verse 1 through 3, he went away from there and came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? The first point we will look at is when we are too comfortable with Jesus, our knowledge about him prevents us from seeing him as fully God. When we are too comfortable with Jesus, our knowledge about him prevents us from seeing him as fully God. So we back up to the previous chapter. We know Jesus was at Jairus' house, and he healed his daughter or brought her back to life. And just prior to that, a woman with an issue of blood for 12 years touched Jesus' garment, and she was healed. Now, I'm bringing this up because... What we notice is when Jesus entered any town, before he got to the hometown, there was a crowd of people following him, looking for healing, and desiring to hear his teaching. 
But here in verse 1, it says he went from there, which is Jairus' house, and his disciple followed. And then verse 2 says on the Sabbath, many who heard were astonished by his teaching. We can see the difference already. When he was in other towns or villages, crowds of people followed him. When he came to his hometown, no one was anticipating his arrival. Then it says, um, the, only time he had, the only time God had a group, of, group around him was on the Sabbath. And many scriptures tell us that when Jesus, it was a norm for him to enter the synagogue on the Sabbath to teach. So his first crowd when he arrived in his hometown was on the Sabbath day. Then it says, they were astonished. When I first read this, I'm like, they heard Jesus teaching, so they were astonished. And it was a good thing because they referring to his teaching. But at the end of verse 2, the people ask, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? It mentioned these things. So what things are they talking about? They're talking about his teaching. They're talking about his wisdom. They're talking about the mighty works done by his hand. Now, I like the Amplified Version when it says, where did this man get these things, this knowledge and spiritual insight, talking about his teaching? What is the wisdom, this confident understanding of the Scripture that has been given to him and such miracle as deed performed by his hand? Now, I want to point out something here. They ask, how are such mighty works done by his hand? The text doesn't reveal that Jesus performed any miracles in Nazareth until the end of the chapter. So this informs us that they heard about Jesus before he arrived in town. They heard about the works that he was doing in other towns and villages. See, when he arrived in other town, the people were astonished. They were looking for healing, and they believed in Jesus. But when he arrived in his hometown, they were astonished, and they began to question him. And listen to the first question. Where did this man get these things? Their tone is negative and derogatory already. This man, they knew who Jesus was. And verse 3 will confirm, that, will confirm that for us. Let's look at the series of questions. The first one, is not this the comforter? They knew his occupation. The son of Mary, they knew his mother. That's the second one. The third one, the James and the brother of James and Joseph and, and Judas and Simon, they knew his brothers. And are not his sisters here with us? So they knew his entire family. They knew who Jesus was. So this question, this man, it was an insult. And these questions that they are raising now by his family are insulting questions towards Jesus. First, they took a shot at his occupation. Then they hit him with a low blow by saying, the son of Mary. In their culture, the sons are identified by their father, whether they are alive or dead. Now, this story is found in two other books, Matthew and Luke. And in Matthew and Luke, they say the carpenter's son or Joseph's son. So what we have to say is, I believe, Mark overheard someone saying the son of Mary. And with him hearing someone say the son of Mary, it was an insult in calling him an illegitimate child. They went on to ask, aren't his brothers and sisters among us? And they named his brothers. So it's still confirming that they knew who he was. And in verse, verse 3 ends by saying they took offense. Why did they take offense at Jesus? They took offense because they saw Jesus through the lens of being fully human and not fully God. Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, and he exhibited wisdom, but they knew he hadn't attended any school. They knew he hadn't studied under a rabbi. 
They saw little boy Jesus that was raised in Nazareth. They saw the kid that stayed behind in Jerusalem, and it took his parents three days to find him. They saw him as the ordinary carpenter in their hometown. Offense here means scandalizo, which means scandal. It's the sense to cause someone to stumble. It was a scandal that their hometown boy Jesus could be Christ. Jesus became a stumbling block to them, and because they were too familiar or comfortable with who he was as fully human, they rejected him being fully God. They were saying, who do you think you are? They were saying, you have gotten a little too big for your britches. <laughs> now, that's old school there. They, they probably said that in their time. So now, how does this, how does our knowledge about Jesus prevent us from viewing him as fully God? When we are believers and we live our lives intentionally sinning and abusing grace, we have minimized Jesus to being the ticket to heaven and the forgiver of sins. When our head knowledge of him teaches us that grace and heaven is a gift. But when we continue to sin and practice, continue to live in sin and practice sins on, sin on a regular, it reveals our actions reveal that we only have a head knowledge of him. Our actions reveal that he is not fully God in our lives. When we view him as fully God, there is a reverence he has in our lives. There is a love in our hearts for God that we desire to obey our creator. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what? Keep my commandments, right? So, if we really believe and worship God or serve God, we won't be out here doing any of everything. My auntie told me a long time ago, she said, if, if you really say, it's just some stuff you will not do. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things we shouldn't do, but what she's getting at is, you shouldn't cross the line or toe the line on some things that you're really saved. And God really has have a reverence in our life, and we recognize him as fully God in our life, we would not take that lightly. So this week, I asked the question, how can we minimize Jesus to only being fully human in our lives to several people? And a person stated, I grew up in a hair fire brimstone church, so I never viewed Christ that way. He said, I never got, became too comfortable with him because I feared going to hell. And then he thought about it for a second, and he said, well, I think I became too comfortable with my view of God because I never saw God as being gracious. So have we become too comfortable with our view of Jesus that we lose sight of who he really is? Some of the ways we have grown up, I grew up in the hair of fire brimstone church. And of course, yes, Every Sunday I left church, I felt like if I did the wrong thing, I'm going to hell. So I was getting to, I'm like, just let me get to Wednesday to Bible study so I can get renewed, so I can get to Sunday, <laughs> so I can get renewed again because I know I have sinned, I have done something wrong, I'm on my way to hell, so I'm running to the church. <laughs> oh, man, I kind of lost my spot here. That wasn't in my notes. <laughs> What about our attitudes towards the things of God? We read stories in the Bible how people flocked to Jesus, how they cried out to him for help, and they had a heart posture of being in desperate need of him. When we come to church on Sunday, do we come to church in desperate need to hear from Jesus? Do we worship, sing, and serve just for the sake of saying we did it? If we view God as fully God, we enter the church knowing we cannot make it without him. 
We come knowing that it's a privilege that God desires to use us and be glorified through us. It's a privilege to serve, praise, and worship the creator of the world. So how did you show up this morning? Heard, I asked beforehand, I knew Wednesday when I ran into some people at Christian High that you had a worship and prayer night Wednesday. How was your attitude towards worship and prayer night? Did you come in seeking God, desiring him, or did you treat it as just another event to, that the church has and just showed up? Or did some of you treat it as we're just going to leave it to the faithful few? I don't know. I heard it was good. But I don't know. <laughs> there you go, Ethan. Ethan. I heard it was good, so, but personally, I don't know how did you treat it. So that's a question for yourself. John Piper stated, we belittle God when we go through the outward motions of worship and take no pleasure in his person. See, we want the blessings of God, but we don't want God. Like, God, give me this. God, give me heaven. God, forgive me of my sins. But we lack a desire to be in relationship with him. So we want the blessings of God, but we don't want God. What about when the pastor preaches and the word speaks against your sin or idol? We all have seen those that get upset and sometimes leave because they took offense to God's word. How dare he say that? How do, who do he think he is to tell me that I can't do whatever with or to my body? The moment we respond that way, we are like Jesus' family when they focus on who he was as a human versus him being God. When we respond that way, we have shifted from, shifted from God speaking to us to the individual God is speaking through. So what causes this reaction? Pride and self-righteousness. Look at how they responded to Jesus in their hometown. It was pride and self-righteousness that provoked them to respond the way they did. Their pride of you grew up with us. We fed you. We changed your diaper. What are you talking about? You're not God. You're not the Messiah. They was too comfortable with him. And when we are too comfortable, we become prideful and self-righteous. And when we become prideful and self-righteous, it is no longer about Christ but about us. And you can thank your leader, Brian, for this question here. Think of a time when you justified your action because you didn't think Jesus would care if you disagreed with him. I was looking for a spot to put this in the sermon so it's not on the, you didn't have a PowerPoint for it. So it was late. I was like, this is a good question. I'm trying to find a place to put it. So I found it after I sent the PowerPoint. I say it again. Think of a time when you justified your action because you didn't think Jesus would care if you disagreed with him. If you can think of a moment, it probably reveal your pridefulness. It probably reveal your self-righteousness. It reveal you being ego- egoistic, smug, and, con- and conceited. So I would say this morning, we have to be careful with our approach to God because we could be unknowingly saying he is not God. Jesus is God in the flesh, and God dwelled among the people in Nazareth but they allow what they knew about Jesus to keep them from God. So let's not be like the church, be like the, the, his hometown Nazareth and reject Jesus on this morning. Let's look at verses 4 through 6. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his, in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. 
and he went about among the villages teaching. The second point, when we become complacent with the Lord, our knowledge about him leads to unbelief. When we become complacent with the Lord, our knowledge about him leads to unbelief. It says, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. I believe Jesus is in two things here. One, he is revealing their response to him. And two, he is fulfilling scripture. In Deuteronomy 18, 15 and 18, the Lord your God, in verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brother. It is to him you shall listen. Verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. With them being Jews, they should have recognized who he was as God because they had been waiting for the Messiah to come. Since the Old Testament, for years have been passed down. They've been waiting on the promise, so they should have known this was Jesus in their midst. And then Luke 4, 16 through 21. Now, this is the great debate this week when we search commentaries. You know, some commentary says Luke 4, this is the same story. Well, that's the debate here. Is it the same story? So some commentaries will say, and this would be something for you can go home and look at and search for yourself. I haven't fully decided. When I ask some pastor's friends, they're like, I never thought about it. So I haven't fully decided where I land on it yet. But... Um, some commentaries say that this is two different occasions. And some say it's the same. They say it's the same because Jesus mentioned twice, mentioned in Mark 6 and Luke, that a prophet is not welcome in his own, in their, in his own home. So those are the same. But now in Luke's account, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and none of the disciples have been called yet. In Mark's account, Jesus' ministry has already started, and the disciples are in town with him. Now, Luke's account gives us a little bit more with when they got offended, they tried to kill Jesus, push him off a, cl- off a cliff. So now it's like the approach I'm taking this morning, if it's two different accounts, because some, like I looked at a well-known, uh, what people listen to, John MacArthur, he preached that as two different accounts. So if that carried in a weight to anyone, two different accounts. I don't know. Search the Lord. Search, search it for yourself and see. But if it's two different accounts, it really just proved that Jesus gave them two chances. It really proved how hard their hearts was towards Jesus, that they rejected him. If they are the same account, this just gives us a little bit further, a little bit more information about this story. And here in Luke 4, 16 through 21, it says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as it was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight of, of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Here Jesus proclaimed to be the Messiah, and again, Jesus is fulfilling scripture. Then verse 5 and 6, it said, and he could do no mighty works there, work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about 
among the villages teaching. As I said before, we have read that everywhere Jesus traveled, people needed him, but somehow his hometown didn't need him at all. Jesus being their hometown boy, Jesus being their cousin or nephew, Jesus being their brother blinded them from seeing God. Now, I'm not exactly sure why Mark used the language of, Mark used the language of he could do no mighty work there as if Jesus was weak. But in Matthew 13 and 58, the same story, and he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Because they chose not to believe, he did not do any mighty works in Nazareth. Hebrews 11:6, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Jesus knew they needed him, but he wasn't going to force himself upon them. Same thing. God knows we need him this morning, but he will not force himself upon us. They, had, they didn't have faith and they didn't draw to him because they couldn't see past who he was to them. And Jesus did not perform any mighty works because of their unbelief. And then at the end of verse 6, it says they, that Jesus marveled at their unbelief. And the commentaries, people say that two times Jesus marveled in the Bible. It was here at their unbelief and it was in Luke nine, 7 and 9 when he marveled at the faith of the satyrian. Just like they were astonished at Jesus' teaching, Jesus was astonished at their unbelief. Church, it's a dangerous position to be, to be too comfortable with the Lord. Being too comfortable familiar with can cause contempt, and they showed their contempt by rejecting Jesus in Nazareth. So let's cross the bridge today. How do we see this in our life today? I know you may be saying or asking, I am a believer, so how does my contentment and complacency with Christ lead to unbelief? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> you, know, you know how we learn about God's character and the things he can do in our lives? Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Psalms 55 and 20, 55, 22, cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But when we are burdened and weighed down with the cares of this world, where do we turn? Who do we turn to? I'm going to be honest, turn to TV. That's my biggest thing, TV. Food is my biggest thing. Like I these last two years, oh, I done put on some weight. <laughs> Stressing, stress eating, emotional eating. So, yes, I turn to food, drugs, alcohol, sex, sports, work, and family. We turn those things for our comfort instead of turning to God. This is a sign that we don't believe that God is our provider and, provider and protector. This is a sign that our comfortability led to unbelief. What about when things don't go the way we think they should go? We are struck with an illness or we lose a family member. Sometimes we shake our fists at God, we get angry with him, and we begin to complain. Why would God do this? If he's a loving God, why would he allow this to happen? You know how some of us get, we, like, I just can't believe in him right now. He took my mama away from me. I just can't believe in him right now. That person took my job. We get so upset with Jesus that we turn our back on him. But Job 38, 2 through 4. 
Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. It is God is the creator of the world. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. He created us. He can do with us whatever he pleased. So who are we to question God? But it shows our heart. This is another way that reveals that we have become too complacent with the Lord. This is a sign that our complacency led us to think God is a sovereign and he's not in control, and that's a sign of unbelief. Psalms 139 and 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. But we respond to him in unbelief by saying he wasn't perfect in creating us. Hmm. Now we want to alter the way we look. We want to change what we identify as. And unknowingly, we are saying to ourselves or saying to others that we are God. That's another sign of unbelief in our lives. What about the times we witness God at work, other churches, or other individual lives? We praise God for what he's doing around us, but our comfortability leads us to think he cannot do it for us. God is omnipresent, and that means he's everywhere. He is in our midst today, but are we keeping him from doing a mighty work in our lives this morning? David says in Psalm 51, 16, 17, for you will not delight in sacrifice, sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. He says a broken spirit, a spirit that is in, that is in desperate need of him, and a broken and contrite heart. A broken and repentant, repentant heart the Lord would not despise. Are our hearts hard this morning? I mean, where is our hearts this morning? Where are they? Have we rejected God from having control over our lives? There's a story of the blind beggar in Luke 18. In Luke 18, he heard the crowd passing by, and he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And you see that? People all over knew that he was from Nazareth, and it was Jesus passing by, and they were looking for healing. But in his hometown, they didn't even recognize who he was. But in verse 38 and 39 of Luke 18, it says, And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. The blind beggar had to hear about the report of Jesus beforehand for him to cry out, Son of David, have mercy on me. He was in desperate need of God, and he didn't allow anyone to keep him from encountering God on that day. So whether you're a non-believer or a believer in the room this morning, I have a question for you. Once I find it. <laughs> when you have a broken heart, and a repentant heart, and a humble heart, heart to cry out to God, will you have a broken heart, a repentant heart, and a humble heart to cry out to God, God have mercy 
on me. So it doesn't matter whether you're a believer or non-believer. We all are in need of a Savior each and every day. So will we cry out, God, have mercy on me? Will we remove the distractions of idols and cry out to him, Lord, help my unbelief? When society tries to deconstruct who Jesus is and calls us to stray away and not believe, will we cry out, Lord, save me? When that temptation calls us not to believe that, that we are new creatures in Christ, will we cry out, God, you are my overcomer? I come to tell you, Jesus will never fail us, church. He will never fail us. If our head knowledge of him is preventing us from fully trusting or believing in him, Let's ask God to move our head knowledge to heart knowledge. He said, those that worship me must worship me in what? Spirit and in truth. He said, some of us worship, worship him with his lips, but not our hearts. It's just lip service. It's just going through the motion, showing up every Sunday, just being nice to people, but your heart is not in it. And Matthew 6 and 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Will we treasure Jesus in our heart this morning? Will we allow Jesus to reign on the throne of our hearts this morning? This morning, let's repent of our unbelief. Let's repent for not believing that he is the most high and powerful God. Today is the day of salvation. Today, God can restore the joy of our salvation. So I come to say, wake up. Old sleeper. Surrender to Christ and give him your heart so he can mold it. Mold it. Give him your mind so he can transform it. Give him your life so he can conform it to his. Wake up, old sleeper. We are talking about Jesus who was fully human and is fully God. We are talking about Jesus who hung, bled, and died for us. We are talking about Jesus who destroyed the scheme of Satan by being raised from the dead. We are talking about God who spoke one word and the whole world was formed. We are talking about God who in his mercy and grace gave us a gift of salvation and chose us before the foundation of the world. Wake up, old sleeper. We need to get out of our own way. We need to stop being our own stumbling block and allow God to be God in our lives. Think back to what he has already done and allow him to revive us this morning. See, this is what I love about the old church. We had a saying that said, I get joy when I think about what he has done for me. See, Brian, he saved me. Lily, right? He changed me. He delivered me. He died for me and he gave me the victory. How can I not trust and believe in him? How can we not trust and believe in him? Wake up, old sleeper. On Christ the solid rock we stand. No other seeking ground. There is no other seeking ground. So will we turn our hearts to Christ this morning? Will we believe and trust in him? Verses 7 through 13, not a lot here because I really wanted to focus on 1 through 6. But I think the importance of verses 7 through, one, through uh, 13, you see in verse 1 it said that his disciples followed him into the village. I think 7 through 13 is a teaching moment. 
from what I research, this is the first time the disciple ever seen Jesus rejected. So this is a teaching moment for them. This is a teaching moment for us, how to respond when we are rejected. One is, it says Jesus left, and he continues to teach in other villages. So when we are rejected, like he says, shake the dust from your feet. Keep moving. Continue to be bold in the word. But it's also he was teaching them that sometimes it will be your very own. The ones that should be on your side, that family member that will reject you. It will hurt sometimes. So this is a teaching moment for them. And just to bring it a little bit closer to home, the body of Christ, we are family. Sometimes we have to implement church discipline. Sometimes we have to call our brother and sister out on sin. And guess what? Sometimes they get upset and leave. And that is rejection. And we cannot run. We got to keep standing on the word. We got to keep pointing them to Christ. So I think 7 through 13 is just, it's a, I think it's more than this, but what I'm teaching today is it's a teaching moment for us and how to respond when people reject us. So today, if you're a non-believer in the room, I'm going to ask you to search your heart. If you sense God compelling you to surrender to him, I'm pleading with you to surrender. Block out all the noise. Block out all the things that you are comfortable with in this world that's telling you to continue to serve the idols or the gods of this world. He is the only true living God. And we do not want to die separated from God. Hell is real. I read something I heard someone say not too long ago. We don't talk about hell in the church enough. And I'm not saying that we should preach like the hellfire brimstone, but people need to know hell is real. And if you don't have Jesus, you'll be, when you die, you are totally separated from him. And we know many stories in the Bible. The rich man and Lazarus, when he looked up, he was begging, the rich man was begging for someone to send to his family to warn them from not going to heaven, to believe in the prophet, believe in Christ. So will you surrender to him? If you're a believer in the room this morning, Search your heart. What are some things you can lay down at Jesus' feet today? What are some things you can surrender? Ask yourself, evaluate your heart and say, have I fully surrendered to Christ? Because sometimes we go through the motions. As I shared at Christian High this past week, I was baptized at 8 or 9. But I went down in the water and came up a wet devil. <laughs> Nothing in me changed. <laughs> but I knew church I grew up in church. I knew what I'm supposed to do on Sunday. So when he asked me those questions at 8 or 9, I grew up in Sunday school, so I knew how to answer the question. So have we, are we going through the rhythm? Are we going through what we know? And have we fully surrendered? I didn't fully surrender until I was 14. That's when I saw God work in my life. So even for you this morning, will you surrender? Will you repent and turn to him and let him be Lord over your life. I'm going to pray for us, and then Brian will be up. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for being an awesome and mighty God. I thank you for being so loving and so gracious. God, I just pray right now that you'll touch our hearts, you'll touch our minds. God, I pray that, God, this week that you will Search our hearts, God, that anything that is not like you, God, that you reveal it to us and that we will lay it at your feet. 
God, help us to see that you are better, God. As, as David said, I love this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. God, help us to know and taste that you are better than anything that we think that is better than you. God, give us a hunger and thirst after you, God. God, I just pray for this week that you just do a mighty work in our lives, God. I pray that you revive us, God. You are here this morning. God, let us not walk out of these doors the same way we came into the church this morning, God. Have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.